Welcome to the Semper Reformato Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. First of all, my usual disclaimer before we start these things. I, I always like to make sure that you know that I'm not standing here before you this evening pretending to be an expert in anything. Um, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist or a medical practitioner. And so when I speak about current events, you're entitled to disagree with me. You're very welcome to do that. Uh, invited to do so, we can simply agree to differ. When I turn to the scriptures, as we will to bring you the plain teaching of God's word, then you're not simply to agree to differ. You have a responsibility to be a Berean and to go home and to search the scriptures to see whether these things are so. So to quote an internet personality, don't listen to me with an open mind, listen with an open Bible. That's always the best way. So this talk is about fear, and for Christians perhaps about fearlessness. So I want to begin with some very wise words indeed, not from me, but from the one who created me and you, the one who holds my life and your life in his hands, my creator, my saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read to you a few verses from the book of Luke in the Bible, Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. I'm going to read just four, four verses, verse 4 down to verse 7. So Luke chapter 12, verse 4, down to verse 7. And if you have a Bible with you, then by all means, look that up. We hear the words of the Lord Jesus. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. wonder how many men and women over the years have gone to the martyr's stake with those words burning into their heart, giving them comfort and assurance. Jesus speaking to his followers, warning them about hypocrisy because there were men in authority in that day who wanted his followers, Jesus' followers, to act outwardly in conformity with their values and their laws and what they considered to be their norms. One commentator wrote, The pressure of the Pharisees' example, along with the rise of persecution, prompts Jesus to warn his disciples about whose opinion they value. Peer pressure is a given in any culture. The power of those who seek conformity is very strong. Persecution methods can be strong, controlling and painful. The book of Acts tells of beatings and floggings and stonings. Economic pressure was also sometimes applied, along with social ostracism. The pressures to conform are still great. But Jesus issues a call in this passage to be strong and to resist such pressure. The line that caught my attention in that commentary is the line that says, The power of those who seek conformity is very strong. Persecution methods can be strong, controlling and painful. So we shall keep those words of Jesus in the forefront of our minds throughout this. We come back to them later. 
And here's my random thoughts on fear-mongering and practical biblical advice for those who live in fear and in dread. Got three headings, as we are taught to do in certain places where we learn about these. We've got the monster that we fear. We've got manipulating fear. And then we've got mastering fear. The monster that we fear. Well, there's no doubt that Jesus is absolutely accurate, as you'd expect. Uh, When he identifies the source of fear, the things that frighten people most in this world at the minute, without doubt, is the fear of death. Jesus tells his friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. Physical death. And I think for two years now, that fear has been to the forefront, hasn't it? It has been evident for a couple of years. In a Vox Pop on local television news, a young woman, probably in her early adulthood, was asked about the vaccination program. And her reply, I thought, was shocking. She said, and I'll not try to imitate her pitch and her voice inclinations. You know how millennials tend to speak. She said, I don't want to live in a world where people like pass away. I don't want to live in a world where people like pass away. And I think unwittingly she was outlining her greatest fear. She was afraid, afraid of dying, afraid because she'd been hearing the daily broadcast of death statistics and putting aside the concrete absolute fact that every single one of us one day will die, every one of us sooner or later. She was simply ignoring that and saying, I don't want to live in a world where people die. This month we stand at the two-year anniversary of the COVID epidemic. You cast your mind back to 2020, February 2020. We were learning about this so-called pandemic for the first time. We were hearing about an outbreak of a strange flu-like illness in China in a city called Wuhan, a city I personally had never even heard of. Allegedly, a virus had been contracted by humans from a bat, somehow connected vaguely with a fish market and the fact that the Chinese government had a bio-warfare laboratory experimenting with viral weapons in that very city, and that there may have been a leak, accidental or deliberate, was of course at that point in time being dismissed out of hand as some kind of a Trumpian conspiracy theory. But a man had died in the city of Wuhan in January as far as we know. And by February, news of the outbreak was spreading all around the world. The Chinese government, a totalitarian communist regime, ordered people to stay in their homes, with reports circulating that people were actually welding the door of homes. They were welding those doors closed to make people stay indoors. A totally authoritarian regime. A regime that runs a social credit system of rewards and punishments, controlling its citizens' behaviour, and it can get away with that kind of thing. And of course there were disturbing images on social media from inside the city of Wuhan, showing people allegedly dropping to the ground dead, images that were carried on those channels, images that were designed to terrify and horrify people. And the pandemic declared by the World Health Organization as the disease spread. Italy has a large Chinese community living in the north of the country. It seemed to be the first place in Europe. We know it wasn't, but... Again, people seemed to be dying and the death toll was commented on. Night after night on the ITV and BBC News, our greatest fear was being brought before us. People were dying and there were photographs hyping the fear, photographs of rows of coffins laid out in a makeshift mortuary, causing panic 
among the susceptible population. Coincidentally, both those images, the ones from Wuhan, the video, and the images from Italy were of very dubious provenance indeed. Um, the Italian photograph was later discovered to be an earlier image of victims of a separate disaster altogether, and it was very obviously photoshopped to look like a more recent event. Cast your mind back again, a tour, a cruise ship rather, touring the Far East was affected. On the 3rd of February 2020, the Diamond Princess reported 10 cases. And the following day, public health measures were introduced, removal and isolation of ill passengers, quarantine of non-ill passengers, 619 out of the 3,700 passengers and crew on board tested positive for the respiratory disease. 17% of the total population of that ship. So back in the UK, pandemic response was being planned, as you can imagine. The government, led by Boris Johnson, called together a COVID task force, led by the chief medical officers and the chief scientific officers of the so-called Four Nations, and the SAGE group, the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies. And advising them were two other groups. One of them was the Scientific Pandemic Influenza Group on Modelling. Let's call them SPY-M for short. SPY-M gives allegedly expert advice to the Department of Health and Social Care and the wider UK government on scientific matters relating to the UK's response to an influenza pandemic or other emerging human infectious disease threats. The advice is based on infectious disease modelling and so-called epidemiology. The second group was the Independent Scientific Pandemic Insights Group on Behaviours. Let's call them SPY-B. Their website defines their purposes for us. It tells us that SPY-B provides independent expert behavioural scientific advice to the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, SAGE, which in turn advises ministers and officials across government. So you've got these two subgroups, modelling group and a group of behavioural scientists, and they're feeding advice into SAGE and thus into the government and thus heavily influencing decisions about the management of the pandemic. And what were they doing? Well, the first one, SPY-M, the modelling group, were running computer models. And I'm very facetious sometimes. I was saying to some of the folks out in the door, I think actually the storm Eunice that we're in the middle of at the minute was modelled by Neil Ferguson because it's not really a storm, sure it's not. <laughs> it was going to blow the head off all of it. Now, I know there are places where it has done that. SPY-M were running computer models. They were using algorithms to predict the process and the progress of the epidemic as the virus would spread throughout the population. Now, the Americans have a saying about computer scenarios. It's uh, giggle. You know what that means, don't you? Garbage in, garbage out. That's the people running these computer scenarios were the very same people who had exaggerated the figures for previous epidemics, both in the human and animal populations. We now know that they supplied the government with a range of figures, various outcomes. On the BBC, a journalist called Connor Spackman dropped a bombshell on the Spotlight programme. I'm going to quote to you directly from the BBC website. This is public information. It's on the BBC website. Northern Ireland's health minister decided not to make public the best-case scenario. Laid out in pandemic modelling, a BBC Spotlight investigation has revealed 
A leaked executive document showed that Robert Swan chose to keep the scenario secret to try to ensure public adherence to the lockdown. On the 1st of April 2020, Mr. Swan shared some of what of what new scientific modelling of the pandemic said. It said 3,000 people could die in a reasonable worst-case scenario. Reasonable worst-case scenario. What Mr. Swan did not say was that the modellers put the best-case scenario at just 250 deaths. The leaked document revealed that Mr. Swan chose to keep that information secret. He said he feared if the scenario was published that the public would have a false sense of security. He asked other executive ministers to back his strategy. So he involved other people in it. On the 19th of March, Mr. Swan said the surge coming towards Northern Ireland was of biblical proportions. He said 14,000 people could die in a nightmare scenario if there was no compliance with social distancing. On the 1st of April, the scientific modelling said 14,000 deaths was in fact a worst-case scenario and was not realistic. That's the BBC's website. So here in Northern Ireland, the fear of death propaganda had begun. And I want you to remember, this is to, this is to um, counter the spread of a respiratory illness with a like 98 or 99% recovery rate. Don't you know? And keep that in mind. The Office for National Statistics. A, a man challenged me a few weeks back and told me that how could I be saying people shouldn't be wearing masks when 150,000 people have died in this pandemic in the UK. In fact, 156,924 people died between February 2020 to December 2021 with COVID-related deaths. I'll come to that in a minute. Of those, the people who actually died of COVID, according to the Office of National Statistics, was 6,183 over those two years. Now, bear in mind that in the UK, we have 1,600 people dying every single day. The number of people who died of COVID with nothing else but COVID on their death certificate, so they died of it, um, is the equivalent of four days average national deaths. And that works out out of of all the people who died with COVID-related illnesses. When you hear somebody coming on to the BBC and they say, today there have been so many COVID-related deaths. Remember that the percentage of those who have actually died of COVID is 0.04%. That's minuscule. Let's leave that. So that's the modelers. The role of Spy B was even more sinister. It's comprised of behavioural scientists, and their role, of course, is to use psychology to influence the thinking of people in order to modify your patterns of behaviour. And you're not supposed to know what's happening. So the government saw other nations following the example of the Chinese Communist Party instead of the standard established pandemic protocols. And that, of course, required, as we now know, lockdown. Um, That had never worked in Europe, certainly not in the United Kingdom, where there's a long tradition of deeply valued individual freedoms. But then, of course, Italy ordered a national lockdown, and it worked. And the behavioural modification psychologists began to think it might just work here as well. So they set about their work. And they decided the most effective arsenal, a weapon that they had in their arsenal, was fear. It was fear of death. 
A minute from the committee's meeting in March 2020 actually found its way into the press and it set alarm bells ringing. It read, a substantial number of people still do not feel personally threatened. They want you to feel threatened. The perceived level of personal threat, this minute says, needs to be increased among those who are complacent, using hard-hitting emotional messaging, and that's exactly what happened. The government ramped up the fear factor, perhaps the biggest campaign of fear that the world has seen since Hitler and Nazi Germany. Sage and the government took a conscientious decision to use fear to ensure that people would comply with the restrictions. So, on the 23rd of March, 2020, Boris Johnson told the country that the people must stay at home, that businesses must close, and lockdown had begun. It was for three weeks to flatten the curve. People were confined to their homes, Hospital and nursing home visits were forbidden. You were allowed out of your home only once a day for a walk. No visitors or social gatherings were permitted. Police were on the roads to stop people travelling. A motorist reported being stopped at Cumber on his way to Tesco's in Newtonards, being ordered to find a shop near our home. Churches were ordered to close their doors. The worship of God was forbidden by the authorities. A ban, as we know, enforced by the police. Most people were willing to cooperate. After all, none of us knew what this new COVID-19 was. If the news reports were to be believed, it was the most deadly, dangerous virus ever. Let's move on to manipulating this fear. Because we've kind of looked at how the fear began, how it was introduced to us. In our last monthly talk here in January, I, I confess to you that I do far more funeral services than the average minister. I meet an awful lot of bereaved people. Sometimes five or six families per week. Now bear that in mind. In March 2020, I was complying with all the regulations. Let's be honest. There are people in this very room who have suffered from COVID. There are people in this very room who have suffered badly from COVID. And COVID, like other respiratory illnesses, is dangerous. And I have seriously lost count of the number of COVID victims that I had buried over the past couple of years. But very soon, I learned that COVID, like all other respiratory illnesses, was ending the lives of elderly people, people with serious comorbidities. The people who suffered most at those funerals, I found from experience, I'm speaking anecdotally, were their relatives. The people who were forbidden from spending precious last hours with their loved ones. The people who were denied funerals, denied accesses to cemeteries. One of the saddest incidents I saw in March 2020 was a young couple who lost a wee baby just shortly after birth. A child who was gone, and they were, as you can well imagine, deeply heartbroken. I officiated at the funeral of the baby. At that time, only ten people were allowed to attend the funeral. And they all had to be, because we didn't know any better, they all had to be socially distanced, including the two parents. Sitting, two young people, Two kids almost, sitting six foot apart at the funeral of their own wee baby 
not able to comfort each other, not even, even able to hold hands. And when they left the service room, their wee baby was placed in the back seat of a car and taken on its own to the crematorium because of COVID. And no one was permitted beyond the gates of Roselawn. So those two kids stood in the street, holding hands and watching as our wee baby was driven away. Broke my heart. So why were people so afraid? Why were they afraid of this illness far more than cancer or heart disease? Well, that was no accident, sure it wasn't. The government has spent hundreds of millions of pounds of our money making it the UK's number one advertiser in 2020. Advertising and reportage converged to promote the fear of dying of COVID. Overinflated estimates of death rates derived from previously decredited computer modelers, camera crews and reporters allowed into intensive care units to see people lying in hospital beds and ventilators without any reference to the fact that those ICU beds are very often oversubscribed, ignoring the fact that people die in ICU units every single day of the week. The fear-mongering just went on and on and on, and actually it still does. The media dutifully remind the public every day of the daily death toll figures, reading them out in the news bulletins, giving no context whatsoever, no mention of the age of the victims, no reference to comorbidities, no talk about recovery rates, COVID-related deaths sounding scary, but in fact the COVID-related death is or was or could be the death of someone who had a positive test within the previous 28 days. If that death was in a car accident, the death was COVID-related. The deaths were very often with COVID, as we've seen. I met a grieving family sitting in the family room of a funeral parlour who told me of their mother's death in a nursing home where, as a matter of course, regular COVID tests were being carried out every week. Their 86-year-old mother was tested positive. She had no symptoms. She was isolated for four weeks in her room. The following week, her test was negative. Her weekly tests thereafter were negative. Three weeks later, that elderly lady passed away of long-term congenital heart failure. Her family were actually with her when she died, and she died peacefully in her sleep. Sadly, when the funeral director went to collect the lady's body, they were informed that COVID was on the death certificate. Precautions were taken. Her body was placed inside two body bags by men in full personal protective equipment, placed into a coffin and the coffin sealed. And the family who had literally sat with her on the day that she died were not permitted to see her again or say their goodbyes. And as a final insult to intelligence, they had to watch as the grave diggers disinfected the coffin before placing it into the ground. She was logged on the statistics as a COVID death. Her family, like that other family I told you about, were absolutely heartbroken. These scenarios that I'm talking anecdotally about have happened over and over and over again. This is not a couple of isolated incidents. That scenario was repeated constantly and the manipulated death figures were announced daily to the gullible public who without the insight that we were seeing behind the scenes simply believed what they were told and they feared 
and broadcasters justified a daily diet of terrifying, sensationalist and misleading stories with a reference to emergency Ofcom rules introduced at the government's behest. A ban on any story that might undermine compliance with the rules. The so-called Trusted News Initiative made sure that only the government's health measures were broadcast. All over the world there have been mass protests. Tens of thousands of people protesting against lockdown measures and COVID policies and nothing carried on the mainstream media. Australia acting like a dictatorship, Canada acting like a dictatorship, France acting like a dictatorship. When have you heard them reported on the BBC? Because I haven't. And going from the serious to the ridiculous and staying with press and media outlets and to lighten the atmosphere for a moment or two, the newspapers and other media outlets vied with each other to churn out sensationalist headlines. In her book, A State of Fear, author Laura Dodsworth lists a whole chapter of them. I'm not going to read them out to you. Some of them are quite unsuitable. But here's just a few. Daily Telegraph, April 2020. Don't go out and enjoy the sunshine. Well, why not? Sunshine gives you vitamin D. And vitamin D is what you need. Build up your immune system. The Daily Telegraph, the 28th of July, 2020. People over six foot have double the risk of coronavirus. Sorry if you're over six foot. Sky News, the 29th of October. People who contract COVID may develop red and swollen toes, which turn purple. The Daily Mirror, 30th of October 2020. Coronavirus, every symptom you need to be aware of, including hiccups. If you've had the hiccups recently, I would get a test. Daily Star, the 23rd of July 2020. Bad news for bald men. As a U.S. study finds they're more at risk of coronavirus. There's one or two people here. Oh, Daily Mail, 11th of November 2020. Why your pet should be socially distancing. Experts warn dogs should be kept two metres away from each other and kept, kept indoors. Daily Mirror, 12th of November 2020. COVID survivors can have potentially life-threatening allergic reactions to hair dye. If you intend down your hair, it'll not affect those of you who are bald. And here's the best one of all. Sky News, 16th of January, 2021. Ice cream tests positive for coronavirus. The sustained drive to produce mass panic and fear of disease has succeeded. And millions of people are now incapable of thinking rationally about their health and their body. They will embrace almost any painful sacrifice that they are told that will protect them, regardless of the logic. How far does this work out in our daily lives? I'm, I'm watching it carefully, watching the time. I officiated at a funeral in Newton Arts where a young woman in her 20s, far, far too young to be terrified of COVID, was taking part. She was singing a hymn. After all, all singing has been stopped, hasn't it, in, in most places? Thankfully, not everywhere. And all singing had been stopped because of COVID. And she was up at the pulpit when I entered the room testing the microphone. And so because I was taking the service, I needed to find out where she was singing uh, and what she was singing and what hymns she was singing and when she wanted to come in and all of that. So I came up to the pulpit to introduce myself to her. She literally fled. She was wearing two masks. And I tried to explain to her that because I've got reduced hearing and I've got hearing aids in and I can't really hear, that the, because she was talking through these masks, I couldn't make out what she was saying. And she refused to come any closer to me. And she refused to unmask herself. And I, I stepped towards her like that. And she stepped back. And I stepped towards her again. And she stepped back. And I said to her, if this goes on anymore, you're going to be up against the wall, dear. 
She was absolutely terrified of getting an illness from me. And have you noticed the the masking mandate was finished on Tuesday, wasn't it? Have you been in the shops? People are still walking about in their masks. It's something about groupthink. As the fear went on, as it created a dystopian society of dehumanized zombies walking around with their faces hidden, afraid even to look at other people, everybody marked out, not as a fellow human being, but as a walking vector of disease, a potential bioterrorist. Be afraid of your neighbor. The very opposite of Christianity, of course. We're taught to love our neighbours. We need to move on. Let's try to think biblically about this. As Christian believers, fear, of course, is an emotion that is common to mankind and we're not excluded. Real fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of ill health. Fear of losing your job. Fear of being left alone. The Bible says over and over again, fear not. Fear not. The psalmist in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear. Let's go back to that passage in Luke chapter 12. To the words of Jesus. I say unto you my friends. Be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that have no more that they can do. Let's see how our Saviour deals with this fear. Let's find a specific message for Christian churches. You see, the church should be prophetic, shouldn't it? In the sense that true prophecy is the declaring of God's will to the culture and to the nations. And we as a church, as churches, as Christians, as the visible church, we have to ask whether we have been doing that or whether we have been cowering under a comfort blanket of safetyism. I wonder were the churches far too much concerned with obeying the government's safety advice to be the actual prophetic witness that we are called to be. In July last year, the Daily Mail, Mail Online, carried a report about a Church of England vicar. I'm sure you've heard a man who faced the sack, the Reverend Charlie Boyle, faced the sack from his church for hugging a mourner at a funeral and for the terrible crime of singing an Easter hymn without wearing a face mask. What have they come to? Thankfully, we know what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 1, just before the passage we read together, it tells us in the meantime, there were gathered together an immeasurable, innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another. And Jesus began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus is speaking to a huge crowd of people to multitudes of them and he addresses them and he stands before them fearlessly and confronts them about uncomfortable and unpopular issues. He confronts them about hypocrisy and sin and judgment and death and eternal conscious punishment in hell and he does not hold back and perhaps we in the visible church in this land should follow his example. The church's task is not to make sure that its worshippers are safe in this life. It is to call them to repentance so that they are safe in eternity. And see how plainly Jesus speaks. For those preachers who have been prattling on for two years about safety, and speaking much about loving your neighbour by wearing your mask and obeying the government. Where is the warning about obeying and fearing God? Where is the safety message for the soul facing eternity? Let's try and look at that in the words of Christ. 
He tells us we're not to be afraid of other people. The Pharisees, part of the Jewish religious establishment, putting pressure on people, putting pressure on Christ's followers to conform and to pretend and to act the part the same as the rest. Threats issued, threats of death, threats and dangers that would be realized in later years. But it would be important to know that those who would bring about the believer's death can do only that. And so the believer in Christ is not obsessed with prolonging this earthly life. We're well aware this life will end. And we already have a down payment of our heavenly home. A little foretaste of heaven indwelling us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 13 to 14. Talking about the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. As Christians we know this life is not the end. We know that we have an eternal home awaiting us, that there'd be a new heaven and a new earth, that there's a glorious prospect of freedom from sin and perfect fellowship with the God who created us and who so lovingly redeemed us in Christ. Don't be afraid of other people. Fear the Lord. That's our first duty. A police officer can arrest you can charge you, can issue fines against you, can bring you before the magistrate. In some countries, as we're saying, he can beat you quite badly. He can imprison you and take away your liberties. A judge can sentence you. In some countries, they can sentence you to death. A politician with state authority can force you to remain in your home and stay away from your loved ones and keep away from funerals and weddings and wear a mask and not go to church and take an experimental medication that you probably don't want like they did with the Jews and the Gypsies and the ethnic Poles in the Nazi regime in Germany. They can starve you and force you into slave labor. But when God calls you home to glory, they can do you no harm. Do not be afraid of them. Fear the Lord. When the Scottish reformer John Knox was buried, a man standing at his graveside looked down into the coffin and he says, Here lies the body of one who feared God so much he never feared any man. What a testimony. Twice in this passage, Jesus assures us, do not be afraid, but fear God. Fear him. Be fully aware of the holiness and the purity and the righteousness of the Creator, the one who is filled with wrath, with sinners who are in rebellion, the one who has the right and the ability to cast us forever from his presence into a lost eternity. Bodily torture is only for this life one day it will stop. Eternal punishment is for everlasting. Hell here is described, the word translated hell is Gehenna. The valley of Hinnom, a rubbish tip outside Jerusalem, a filthy, foul place where once children were offered up as child sacrifices to the false god Molech, where the rubbish smoldered in the heat of the eastern sunshine, where the worm never died and the fire never went out, a fearsome place. And one day... Those who do not come to Christ and trust him. Those who have rejected his offer of mercy have that to fear. Trust in the providence of God. Do not be afraid of other people, but be sure to fear the Lord and trust in his providence. The second part of this passage is a wonderful comfort for Christian believers because there's nothing in this world that can happen to us that God does not know about. Nothing that he has not planned. 
sparrow Jesus talks about. He says in verse 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. What value is a sparrow? Uh, financially worthless. The ancient bird catchers would, would catch them and would sell four sparrows for a tiny coin. A farthing or two. Most of you probably here won't remember farthings. A quarter of one old penny. A tenth of one of our present 1p pieces. And of course the first century Jews didn't use pre-decimal British coinage. The translators are illustrating for us here the worthlessness of this wee bird. And yet God knows every single one of them. How much more valued are you? In fact, Jesus says not a single hair on our heads can be harmed, but God knows it. Psalmist in Psalm 139, in that wonderful psalm, says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just trust the Lord. Psalm 91 and verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God and him will I trust. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth in noonday. Trust in God's providence for you. So Jesus says, don't be afraid of what other people tell you. Instead, make sure that your fear is properly directed. That you reverence the God who created you and whose law has been broken by you and who one day you will stand before and trust in God's providence. Time's up. Let's sum up very briefly. What does this verse say to the church and to the Christian and to the multitude of fearful people? The underlying message is about priorities. And trust. The church's priority is to warn sinners to flee from the wrath to come. Not just to make them more compliant with the safety regulations in this life. Of course, they must be interested in the whole man. Body, soul and mind. But when confronted with authoritarian rules and regulations from a secular authority... Rules that may conflict or contradict the law of God. Our obedience is to the Lord. We must follow the example of Peter. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. When he said we ought to obey God rather than men. And before you quote Romans 13 to me. Make sure you're reading it in context. The Christian's priority. Is to prepare for eternal life. It is to live for Christ. It is to face our inevitable departure from this life in Christ. To know that we're going to be with Christ. It is to trust him without fear of what this world or this life might bring. Knowing that one day we will leave it all behind. And to say with Second Samuel 22 and 31, As for God, his way is perfect. And for those who are living in fear, in fear of death, in fear of illness, in fear that has been hyped up by publicity and by psychology applied to a situation, remember there is a greater fear. The fear of a God who is offended by your sins and who because of his justice and righteousness must punish sin. 
and who because of his holiness must banish you from the brightness of his presence, the fear of being cast into outer darkness forever and ever. And remember that there is an antidote. Remember that there is also hope for God in his mercy and love has provided a way of escape by laying upon his only begotten son, his sinless son, the sins of the world, by taking the punishment of sinners at the cross so that the fine is paid and the penalty is taken away and the repentant sinner trusting in him brought into a saving relationship with God. In the midst of the drear, the darkness and the fear that's been thrust upon us over the past two years, the message of the Bible is belief on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you would like to help to get the podcast better known, there's a really easy way that you can do that. Go into your podcast app on your phone or your mobile device. Search for the Semper Reformata podcast. Subscribe to it. And if your podcast app allows you to, give it a five-star rating. And that will help others to find the podcast more easily. So thanks again for listening. It's been a pleasure talking to you and an absolute privilege. I am your servant for Christ's sake.